All right, and I hit record, so you're good to go. This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. And I'm Sherry Brooks, the System Director for Career Development at Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Well, uh, to our audience, I am so excited today uh, because I have a very, very dear friend, uh, Peter Schein. And we're going to talk about the uh, new book, Career Anchors Reimagined. But Peter and his family are just so dear to me. And and we give your condolences, uh, Peter, uh, for the passing of your dad, uh, Ed Shine, back in January. And he was someone that was so important to me and such a dear, dear friend. And uh, so I'm just so thankful to have Peter, my friend, on today to talk about Careers Anchors Reimagined. Peter, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the book. Sure, Skip. So thanks again for having me. It's it's great to sort of re-engage and uh, maybe every few months we'll do another one of these. I know you have sure. a busy podcast schedule, but I'd be happy to keep keep talking. So, uh, so um, about myself, I had a long career in technology out here in Silicon Valley. And then uh, about six years ago, Ed and I got together and said, we got stuff to say and books to write and clients to help. And so we um, formed a little partnership to do that and wrote six books together. And um, yeah, Ed passed at 94 in, in January, but you know, 94 is a pretty good run. Um, got a lot done, but mo- both of us felt like we gave each other an encore career. And so we'll talk more about that and talk about what we did with the uh, Career Anchors um, books, which really is, um, Career Anchors started as a book in this, I think in the 70s that Ed wrote called Career Dynamics. It was all about a kind of a longitudinal study um, of careers because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to study uh, human decision making in as a snapshot. You kind of need to study it as a motion picture. What happens over time? What happens in different junctures, different tough career decisions. Um, And I'll just say that part of the reason that we, um, and this will be maybe a tease for the conversation, part of the reason that we put the Robert Frost poem at the end of the book is because that poem is, is very interesting in its interpretation, because to some, you would read it as this is a, a, sort of an allegory of somebody who goes and and finds the other path, you know, casts out in a different direction, the road not taken, and, you know, off to greatness because they, you know, were, you know, thought about doing something new and different, and they found a new career by taking that untrodden path. On the other hand, the other interpretation is that, the subtext of the of that little poem is that it was a mistake. That if you there's two ways of reading it, that maybe that taking the road not taken was a mistake. Maybe you should have mm. gone on the road that everybody else was on because that was the right way. And you you know wisdom of the crowd. 
Um, so, you know, we often have those kinds of dilemmas in, in, in our career junctures and our career paths that, you know, you, you see something looks interesting, you know, the shiny ball, but if that's really not where, you know, where the, the things are going, where, you know, the big flows are, um, that may be a mistake. And so one of the things about this career anchors reimagined is to be very honest with ourselves about what were good decision, career decisions and what were maybe not so good career decisions, what were mistakes, because the point is either way you learn and either way you are going to be able to make better decisions the next time if you're honest with yourself about what were good decisions and what were less good decisions. Peter, I, I can tell you that before I, I looked at looked at your book, I had never even thought about a career anchor. And if somebody had asked me what a career anchor was, I wouldn't have had a clue. Uh, just for our listeners who who may be just like me, tell us what, what exactly is a career anchor? Right. So um, the, the, the idea of career anchors came out of the research that my father and John Van Manen did um, going way back. Again, they had a panel and they studied uh, the career trajectories of uh, 30 or 40 um, Sloan fellows. These were the sort of mid-level executives at the Sloan School of Management at MIT. And um, what they discovered in, um, in these interviews and also with some surveys, some assessments, is that um, the way that people tended to make decisions um, tended to cluster around certain values that they wanted to optimize for. So there was some subset that clearly were optimizing around the need for autonomy, or there were some that were optimizing the need to be general managers. Ed used to tell this story that, um, and I think particularly for the sort of the, maybe the skewed younger of the Sloan fellows, he'd ask them, what do you want to do? And they all say, well, I want to be in charge. I want to be the boss. I want to be C-level. Again, I don't think we used the term C-level back in the 70s and 80s, but um, we all know what that means now. And, and so the, the thought was, well, okay, so, but we're not all going to be CEOs. Um, we're, you know, some of us are going to find other values that, that, that are more attractive to us as we make these career decisions. And so there um, originally were five of these anchors, these things that um, sort of compel us in our career decisions that we are going to optimize for, that we're going to value most highly. Um, and over the years, um, the other, other anchors were added. The ones that were added, I believe, were the, uh, what was first called the lifestyle anchor. And now we call uh, life work integration. Um, and then uh, uh, service to others was added and these um, security and stability um, was added. Uh, so anyway, there's eight of these things that we are gonna value and we're gonna optimize for. And those are the anchors that over time, we're gonna see as we make career decisions are, are likely to, to compel us, right? They're the ones that are most valuable to us. And over the course of, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years even of, of uh, our career trajectories, the anchors should remain, remain reasonably consistent. 
I do want to add, though, that one of the things that we said in the book um, that was partly driven by my um, uh, enjoying time on the water and knowing a little bit about boats and nautical stuff was that think of it as an anchor is it's kind of it's not quite the right metaphor because we do we do move a little bit right we don't we're not anchored in one place and so i wanted to say well well if the, if that metaphor doesn't feel quite right there's also the notion of a sea anchor which is something that that um, if you're out in rough seas and you put a sea anchor out it's not going to do anything to calm the waters but it is going to prevent your vessel from getting too um, blown off course so in a way, the sea anchor might be a better metaphor for what are our career anchors, because we are going to, our, our paths are going to vary. We're not going to just, you know, I mean, I say we, most people are not going to just be in that one anchored spot. Some will, particularly maybe in, in technical functional areas, because it's such a highly specialized skill that you're going to stay in that because you've got unique training and why would you go you know, flip the cards and do something completely different. But for a lot of people, the anchors are a little bit more about a general sense of stability, not the one thing that you will always optimize for. Now, now I think that was a really good um, description of the, of the anchors and throughout the book. Um, a few additional questions. You mentioned that they would remain pretty consistent throughout somebody's career, but uh, can you can you improve upon an area? So if I identified, for instance, that which which you can do, by the way, by uh, this, this website at the end of the book, you can go in and, and take an assessment ride of yourself. So that's one benefit of the book. But if I identified, for instance, that I um, was really comfortable with technical side of of a career anchor, but I got put in a general management role, which is not uncommon. Like the really great uh, engineers get promoted and, and they get uh, put in management or, you know, a position, um, you know, may be put in charge of management if, if they uh, are going, you know, from a surgeon to quality, for instance, with, with Dr. Mason. You know, how do we help Dr. Mason get better at the managerial side of things? Um, or is he locked out of that? Right. Well, I mean, um, every I organization. <laughs> You're hopeless? Is that what I No, I said I, I hope I'm not locked out. <laughs> go, go ahead, Peter. Sorry. Um, every organization is going to manage those, those issues a little bit differently. But I, I um, in other words, you've got what are the interests of the individual and you've got what are the, what are the interests of the organization. And having those things line up is, you know, the great challenge of management, right? Um, that's the great challenge of career development. It's the great challenge of leadership. Um, but uh, so for an individual, though, if you recognize that you, you go through, there's two phases of the assessment, just to kind of give you the backdrop of what to expect. If you buy the book and go through the assessment, there's, um, the, there's the career anchors assessment, which is 32 questions that you respond to on a four-point scale. Note that it's a four-point scale, so there's no middle. We don't want, you know, you just can't 
go down the middle on everything because then you don't learn anything. <laughs> you kind of have to decide, is it sometimes or seldom or is it always or is it often? Do I always make career decisions this way or do I seldom make them this way? That's that's the way the assessment is set up. And there are two phases of it. One is the growth uh, or one is the career anchors, which is really kind of the up until now. So the questions are oriented around how have you made decisions up until now? And then there's the growth intentions, which is the second 32 item um, assessment that asks you kind of, what do you think you need to improve upon? What do you think you would want to do differently or how would you want to grow? So those are, we consider the growth intentions. And um, depending on how you respond to these, you end up with a, a spider web chart, um, which is there are, there are eight dimensions um, and they're consistent for anchors and growth intentions. And your spider web, if you will, is two lines. One's a hard line that shows you kind of where you skewed or you skewed toward um, general management or autonomy or technical functional skills or serving others or uh, stability and security. And it gives you a pattern of what, what you have optimized for. The growth intentions is a dotted line that we overlay on that that kind of says, where do you think you need to improve? Where do you think you need to grow? So if Dr. Mason, you know, uh, you know, is very high in technical functional for his, his specialty area in medicine, but wants to become more involved in the general, in general management and management of quality and improvement, um, that's going to suggest different things. It's going to suggest that he needs to, uh, um, feels like he needs to grow more in general management, or he needs to um, uh, maybe be less autonomous. And 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 so the, the you know these scales are both ways. You can answer a assessment question saying you're either autonomy is very important to you, or it's not very important to you. And in some cases, as going from a surgeon to a general manager, you might decide that autonomy is less important. For, for me in the future as it was in the past. And so you get these two overlaying pictures. You get the career anchors looking backward, kind of how have I made decisions and growth intentions looking forward. And our argument would be it's in the gaps that you're gonna learn something about yourself. Oh, I'm, I, I value life work integration more today than I did in my past decisions. Um, and incidentally, on that one, I should add that, um, you know, I, I probably took this assessment the first time, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And I remember seeing that my primary anchor was was called lifestyle. And I'm like, well, all right, but I'm I don't feel like I'm a slacker. I mean, I've had jobs. I've worked hard. I've you know, I've had a few jobs. I've had a few careers. Um, but you know, there were things in the way I made decisions that clearly were like, I didn't say, I don't care about where I bring up my kids. I'm going to move to wherever the job takes me. Well, some people do that. A lot of people do that. Um, I just didn't want to do that. And so that meant that I ended up with this, you know, this 
this uh, high value of life work integration. Um, you know, and it's probably part of it is, you know, well, I was working with my father for six years. And, you know, that was kind of a life work integration thing. I could have said, see you later, dad, I'm going to go do this other thing. But th th those are just values. Everybody's different. And how you make those decisions is, uh, is, is going to key off that. But I, I, the other reason I wanted to bring that up is that um, it's important not to try to put too much of your own kind of value spin on what these, these few words mean. Does, you know, if you say you, you value stability and security um, highly, that doesn't mean you're boring and you never want to take on any risk, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Or if you don't care at all about autonomy, then you're just a company person and you're not, you know, you're not an individual. Uh, you know, these kinds of things are always in the, um, you know, in the cultural context, context that you're operating. So things out here in Silicon Valley um, have their own implicit biases and skews. And, you know, things in the South do, things in the Northeast do as well. So you sort of have to give it a little bit of grain of salt of, um, I've been in my career path, which has been in this cultural context, which has also been in the last 20 or 30 years, which has its own cultural overlay. Um, and if there's anything that would be exciting to do with this research would be to say, let's start a new panel and do another 30 years, because the the time that this panel first, um, you know, was operating was very different. It was, you know, it was pre-IT, essentially, um, or yeah, certainly personal technology. Um, the Our values around life work integration were clearly different. and we hadn't had a pandemic that changed everything. Right. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it, it's important to kind of put these things in that perspective. It's interesting research in that it does capture your um, intentions over time. Uh, it's different than a personality assessment, um, but it, it's always gonna be culturally relative relative to where you are, where you live, what, you know, what occupational culture. Peter, you got you can, that's got a very distinct occupational culture. So you, you can't answer my, my, my question, but I know this research was done in the 70s, but it would seem like that, you know, world events, very significant world events. You, you have a war, a world war. You have uh, a Great Depression. You know, you have a COVID pandemic that 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 those values or your anchors would shift according to those. Cause I imagine, you know, everybody came out, has come out of the pandemic looking at, looking at their work and, and, and looking at the way they, their career paths, how they make those choices. And it's, it's a lot different. And, and, and even in, you know, I, I would be interested to see how medical students, you know, if they gave, if they gave this test now compared to, uh, when I was in medical school, because I, I think there's been a big shift, you know, so much more work-life balance uh, affects the decisions of, um, of doctors in training now, you know, or, or, or what specialty they choose to go into. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's to me, healthcare also has this interesting polarity in a way between the highly specialized, highly, you know, 
technically functionally. So you'd expect the technical func functional anchor to be very strong, but also you don't enter healthcare if you're not interested in the service of others. Right, so that service anchor could also be very strong, and maybe that's stronger uh, for somebody who comes through the nursing track than it is from somebody who comes through the pathology track, because pathology is probably not doesn't have quite as much of that, you know, uh, you know, personal interaction, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask Peter yeah. about, you know, it was very interesting when you spoke about the five anchors that you originally started with and then added the others. And I wonder if you recognize at what point the shift came, because as you talked about the new ones, I had three of those new ones and I started my career, I guess I'm, I'm considered a, a Gen Xer and started my career in the mid to late 90s. And so, you know, when you think about the service dedication and stability, security and life work integration, those were three of my four top, um, mm -hmm. which I know was added after you um, began the, the, the program. Right. I, I mean, I think that's you're you're sort of in a way you're kind of proving the point that we sort of started to recognize that the anchors as well needed to be modernized because people had changed um, and you're a case example. Um, and, and I think to Dr. Mason's point, we probably need to change them again, um, or at least evaluate whether John, John Van Manen and I should look at them again and say, um, do they still hold true? I think that the one thing that John and Ed discovered over the past 20 years, and John, um, our, again, our other co-anchor, John Van Manen, who is a, a sociologist who was hired into the Sloan School of Management by Ed in the 70s, uh, maybe even 60s, anyway, a long time ago, they worked together for a long time on this. John has been teaching it for years and years and years. And I will say that the the thing that is important um, is that you not fuss around with the anchors and their definitions too much, because then the longitudinal integrity of it goes away. Um, that that we really believe that these are eight the you know these are eight um, sets of values. Again, we'll call them anchors, but call or call them sets of values that um, will be consistent over time. So it would be weird if I did the um, assessment 20 years ago and got one pattern for myself and took it again today and it was completely different. That wouldn't that that would not be normal. And that was not the experience that 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 Ed and John had as they went back to their panelists they found the patterns to be pretty consistent. Um, now there's one caveat on that too, and that is that much as I would love to have the uh, you know, gift basket for every college grad include career anchors reimagined, <laughs> um, just like I think it should include, oh, the places you'll go, the Dr. Seuss book, which um, was written in 1990, but probably, you know, every year since then has been given to college graduates. And it should be because it's maybe the best career book ever written. Um, I say a little tongue in cheek, but boy, you know, there's a lot in that book. 
um, about his understanding of the of the the you know the ebbs and flows of 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 people in their careers, particularly younger you know career seekers. But I bring this up because career anchors um, was never really intended for the first time out kind of folks. It's not like a, a you know I, I compare the I compared it in the in the appendix of the book to two other assessments that are very common. One is the Myers-Briggs type indicator, um, and the other is the Clifton Strength Strength Finder, um, which um, gives you sort of adjectives that describe who you are. Those tend to be sort of personality type assessments. And while they may overlap very clearly with things in your, your career anchors profile, that career anchors profile is really built on decisions you've made, not based on your personality per se. So for a first time career seeker, um, the career anchors reimagined assessment um, is going to probably have less, um, I mean, there, there's less, uh, you know, flour in the bread, if you will, right? It, it just hasn't hasn't had as much time to uh, develop because again, it's an instrument that that gains strength over time. I like that because you called it in the book an emergent self-concept. And so we've had enough real occupational experience to get to know ourselves in each of the domains. I highlighted right. that. And that's right. so true because I think about my sons who are in their early 20s, starting their careers, and they 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 think they have this sort of idea of you know where they're going to end up um i have a son who majored in journalism his whole goal was to be an espn sports commentator and so life <laughs> happened he decided you know he wanted to get married and have a family and so you know i remember talking to him as this young 22 year old 23 year old and he was like i have no plan b there is no plan c i'm going for espn and now he's a communications um a person for a, a physician company. So totally different. But again, I, I like what you said that, you know, we haven't had enough real occupational experiences to really to know ourselves. And so I right. thought that that was really key. <laughs> yeah, that's I so true. If we if we all, uh, you know, we'd have a gazillion firemen because <laughs> we all wanted to grow up and be firemen. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and again, it's it's completely uh, time and culture bound because you know we've as as well Skip knows this for sure that that one of Ed's big rants was that that in the U.S. we are just so fiercely individualistic and um, and we have all sorts of hero stories about you know the you know who's the, who's the guy who does um, Sports Center you know the you know one of these great ESPN hero types, you know, which was, ah, that's what I want to do. Um, and we, you know, there's little th that we've done, you know, in the US over the past couple of decades to dissuade people from making decisions that way, right? We continue to, to sort of canonize our great individual heroes. I think that's always going to be part of US culture, but um, you're not always going to make career decisions that way. <laughs> Sometimes things come along that you didn't expect or you get fired. You know, I mean, it's just that things things happen and how you deal with those junctures 
is what tr what we try to get at and and capture in this book. The other thing I should mention is that we haven't talked about two other important chapters, which are um, uh, well. I'll just just quickly go over. The first chapter is about is about that context sort of gut check that things are very different in spring of 2023 than they were even four years ago, right? Um, before the pandemic, you know, we 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 have seen lots of strange value shifts because of this pandemic that that changed everything. So um, that we try to sort of like let let's be clear this 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 is different and um, we should be honest with ourselves about how the pandemic has changed our perspectives. The second chapter goes into um, what we call relationship mapping. And the point of that is to recognize that you make career decisions in the context of your relationships, in the context of the people around you. Those might be family members. They might be, it might be a boss who's your mentor and wants you to follow him or her, uh, but maybe you don't want to. And so you've got that tension that you need to think about. Um, it may be um, somebody that you met, you know, another parent on your kid's little league team um, who deeply influenced how you think about this stuff. So you make career decisions in the context of those relationships. If you're out there with yourself and only yourself making career decisions, well, that might work out great, but it's not the experience that most people have. The one other, the, the other thing that I wanted to add is that um, the third chapter, I think it's the third chapter, we talk about the interview. And um, the other thing that's important about the interview is that it, it's going to ask you the hard questions. And whether it's your spouse or a, or a teammate or even yourself talking to yourself in the mirror, being honest with yourself about how you made decisions, it's very important to go through that process of articulating the, those points in time and how you, what, what was the challenge or opportunity you faced and how did you make the decision to get through it? Um, those are very important. We're, we're, we're very, very cautious that somebody buys this book and dives straight into the assessment without kind of doing the, the mindfulness kind of you know, legwork to, to be ready to do that assessment. Because you'll, your your head will be tuned before you start answering those simple items, uh, based on on again on the relationship map and on the interview. You'd kind of need to do all of them to to kind of fill out that mindfulness, that careerfulness, if you will. <laughs> you said a lot there, and I wanted to ask about the book and career anchors in the setting of. A medical professional. So, you know, Skip loves to hear us say that healthcare is unique, but <laughs> healthcare is uh, unique in in careers. In in one way, for for physicians, we go through something called the match, where you know HF's son, I think, just did this, where he was in med school, decided he wanted to pursue surgery, interviewed at a bunch of places, and ranks them accordingly in this system, and then. On the same day, everywhere across the country, he gets a um, they get a notification of where they're going. But there was a lot of decisions that fed into 
know, his decision to one, choose general surgery, and then two, which places did he like? You know, there's people, his his dad being a surgeon, I'm assuming, you know, really, you know, helped him make that decision. Also, you know, if you have a career rotation or rotation in medical school with a good group of general surgeons, you're probably more likely to do it than if you had a bad rotation with a, a, a group that maybe just didn't meet your personality as much. But um, I, I thought that was one unique aspect of, of medicine that we don't have necessarily elsewhere, that that process. And the second thing is, I love the inclusion of Robert Frost's poem at the end. I, I love it. Um, especially the second line being, you know, or first two lines, two roads diverged in Yellowwood. Sorry, I could not travel both. So he right. would like to have been able to do both, but you know, he, he can't necessarily. I saw that in my own career. I ended up doing a fellowship in informatics, even though I had done all my research in cardiology and thought forever that I was going to be a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. And even thought I would come back to it after I finished the informatics fellowship. It's just again, he calls it out in, in the poem. So saving it for another day. I'll keep the first path for another day. Mm-hmm. I never went back to cardiology. You likely won't ever go back to your your other decision or re-question that you made all the difference or changed the person. But I wanted to get your your thoughts and reactions to, to those two things, the, that unique aspect of having how we have to choose a career in medicine. Um, you know, some people do. I, I did know a surgeon who had done uh, pathology residency first and then decided to go into surgery after that. Um, she then went on to internal medicine after that, so she chose a lot of different roads, but it's not common. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing that you're getting at is that um, I, I've always since then, I have a, a, a brother-in-law who's a spine surgeon up in C. He just retired, but he's, you know, he went through that whole process at a really young age. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's one of the things that is unique about um, about medicine, maybe military similar. But you were really asked to take take some make some really hard choices at a pretty young age, because if it's something like surgery, you know, you're doubling or tripling the amount of time just between after the four years of, of med school um, before you're really fully in your, you know, hitting stride in that career. Um, so I guess given that amount of time and training it's required, you need to you need to make these decisions at a pretty young age. But um, that's I, I love your story about informatics because that's that's one of these, you know, horizontal swipes across medical professions that have their own attractions. You know, it's um, uh, it's it may be very much related because it's it's kind of a technical functional attraction, but you're also probably leaning into some general management interest because it's more about um, uh, how an organization is going to start making decisions rather than just how an individual in in the organization is going to make decisions. Um, So, but again, I think, um, you know, I I guess what I would love to see um, for this book is that um, 
you might maybe just start showing each other your spider webs and saying, you know, wow, is this, do I, can I get to know you better and how you make decisions and how we as a group might make, make decisions by taking a look at our, our career anchors and growth intentions profiles and learning a little bit about more, you know, each other based on something that catches our, our, our interest. Anytime somebody goes through this assessment and looks at it, they're going to react. They're going to say, wow, I didn't think that I was going to be that strong and or that I was going to value technical functional as much as I did. I thought I was more general management type. Everybody's going to have some reactions. And in a way, it's the, um, it's the disconfirming as much as the confirming that may be very, very valuable. And if you did that in a group um, where you were kind of comparing notes with each other, I really think that you could sort of learn a lot um, and, and you know, not just in how you've made decisions, but maybe how the group should be making decisions. If you did this with your boss and your boss did it with you, um, would that draw you much closer um, as, uh, you know, as a reporting relationship. Uh, so that one of the reasons I wanted to add that comparison to those other assessments is that I know those other assessments get used for this. They get used in sort of group dynamics exercises. Well, I want to throw this one in too, because um, uh, it, it's, it's just, it's more information about ourselves that is probably worth sharing with the people that we work with. And um, and, and uh, I could see this as a tool that uh, that Sherry in our Center for Career Development that she could use or she could recommend to our uh, to our team members who are looking at ways to advance their careers. Uh, I mean, there's also all, all sorts of possibilities. Let, let me just add, though, on that one, one thing that we've talked a lot about um, that's sort of the the dark alchemy here that scares me a little is that if you um, in a in a career development and HR development context decided okay the candidate we're looking for their spider web looks like this so let's define that ideal and then when we interview a bunch of candidates and get down to our short list. Let's have them do the assessment and then find the one who fits the best. That scares me a little bit. Mm, okay. Uh, that we would use the tool in that prescriptive way. Because it, it is about self-insight. It's not, um, uh, I, I, I don't think that the notion of statistical significance of this assessment has ever really come up. And so if you can't, if you can't prove that this is accurate, you know, to to a you know 95% confidence level, we've never, you know, suggested that that was even possible. Um, I hope it just doesn't get used in ways that are sort of prescriptive or even worse, proscriptive, um, in you know, in making uh, hiring decisions. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right, Dr. Mason, that it, that as a generalized career development tool for people to have that insight so that they 
can represent themselves better. They can, um, they can make suggestions to other people better. Um, they can be more open um, about who they are and what they want to do. I think right. it could be very valuable. I certainly see this as an opportunity for individuals that come over and they're seeking, um, you know, they're not sure what they want to do. They know that there's something next in their career level. Um, and if they strongly decide that they want to go into management or leadership, it would be interesting to see do you know kind of where they fall in terms of the growth intentions are they um, self-aware enough to say okay i need to grow in autonomy and general management skills and sort of having this entrepreneurial spirit um, which is so often needed in leadership um, so it certainly can give them an op a place to look at to say okay yeah i need to grow in this area i need to develop skills in this area so i can see it used in that in that way yeah well, this has been fantastic. I knew there was no way we would be able to get this conversation in, in 30 minutes, but Peter, my good friend, thank you so much. I uh, I enjoy speaking with Peter even outside of podcasts. Uh, one of my fondest memories was uh, uh, when Peter asked me if uh, I wanted to take a walk around Stanford University. I thought it meant a walk. I didn't realize it was going to be a hike. And <laughs> Hours and hours later, I saw a beautiful campus. But Peter, in all seriousness, farm, as they say, yeah. Oh, it, it was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, um, someone recently asked me if I ever seen Stanford. I said I have seen every inch of Stanford. <laughs> but uh, but in all seriousness, though, Peter, thank you so much, my dear friend, for joining us today. I think today's conversation was just so helpful. And and on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you for helping us start to think around this and and I, it was another way for me to find a way to bring sherry dr sherry brooks into the conversation too we are just so incredibly grateful for her so on behalf of baptist thank you so much for joining us today well thank you very much for having me and let me letting me pitch this book to you i i hope you find it useful and um uh yeah enjoy and and can keep me posted on it whether it's working sherry i'd love to hear stories from the field on this one. <laughs> Will do, definitely. All right.